welcome to the Emotional Work Podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition. Uh, and this week I sit here um, interview, interviewing my guest live and being a bit nervous. And I'll explain why about that in a minute. So uh, I was asked or challenged a while ago by uh, Fiona McBride, who goes by at Fiona McBride on Twitter, um, about the extent to which this podcast had addressed some kind of real fundamental questions. For example, things like what are emotions? What is emotional intelligence? Is it even a thing? Um, and I know that today's episode will address this and a lot more. Now, the reason I'm nervous is because today's guest I've known for over a decade and our first meeting in a hotel next to East Midlands Airport where I was interrogated, sorry, interviewed by, um, by our guest because he's been a mentor, a coach, an advisor, a client and a peer. Um, and now we collaborate in areas that we love to work and it's just a great honor to have him on the podcast today. So I think that's enough kind of impression management stuff for you for now. Um, so let's get him on the podcast. So let's welcome this week's guest, which is Cliff Lansley. Hi Cliff. Hi, nice to see you again, Phil. Thank you, how are you? I'm very, very well, yeah, looking forward to this. Yeah. Good. So as per usual with the podcast then, I'll open with a unexpected um, but innocuous question to help us help us and help the listeners get to know our guests a little bit more. So my in- innocuous yet unexpected question for you is, what surprised you most in the last week? I've just had the, um, uh, the luxury of spending a week in Romania with the intelligence services doing some behavioral analysis training. Um, whenever we go over there, we always do a little adventure. So we we, we do some off off road motorcycling. Okay, uh, I like you framed it as a little adventure, <laughs> and then and then into off road motorcycling. But anyway, sorry, <laughs> carry on, carry on. And uh, uh, I'm uh, I'm 60 next year, and so um, uh, I was lucky enough that we had uh, part of the team there. But uh, two of my younger sons who work in the business, they came along too. And uh, I thought they were going to give me a run for the money, but they didn't. That's a surprise. Okay. Yeah. So they didn't give you a run for your money? No. So you're still the top dog then? Still top dog. Still top dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's mo- what surprised me most in the last week? Um, uh, so I think it's my hatred of chasing. So I'm in the process of buying a house. And... Um, I, have to, I'm have, I feel like I'm having to chase all of the time. I'm chasing solicitors, I'm chasing mortgage brokers, I'm chasing agents, I'm chasing everyone. And I just wish people would do their insert expletive job and help me buy the house. It feels like I'm just on everyone's back all the time and I hadn't realized quite how much that annoys me. I guess because I don't have to do it all of the, so I think this is a particular context where being on top of, you know, actually, you know, absolutely, re, repeatedly chasing is important. Yeah. But God, it annoys this. It's better than waiting, though. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so it, you should feel a little bit in control if you're doing some poking and progress chasing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just, um, it's the 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 amount of obstacles that are put in the way that don't need to be obstacles. That's the bit that, that frustrates me. And I know why, because that links into, you know, universal trigger for anger, but the, you know, the, for me, the goal is just get me in the house. And whereas solicitors have boxes to tick and mortgage brokers have boxes to tick and people have boxes to tick and I'm just like, yeah, just yeah. get me in the house. Gotcha. Um, so are you surprised at the amount of that stuff or your ability to cope with it? Both. So I'm surprised that the, yeah, the, the amount of boxes there are to be ticked. And the the extent to which it then annoys me when I have to just chase again and again and again and again and again it just frustrates the living daylights out of me. Okay, well, one of the top three stresses moving house. Indeed, mm-hmm. indeed. What are the other two? Uh, death of a close one and divorce, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, is none of them going on right no, now. No, no, none of them going on right now. <laughs> no, I have got. A, I have is that got a, listening to this? Uh, 
yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. So, um, I, I guess we've talked about a lot of stuff in there then. So, partly about the um, you being top dog still. Um, and then the on a motorcycle, on a motorcycle yes mm-hmm. um, and, and then for me the kind of challenges or the the stresses that come with moving house so entangled up in all of that is lots of emotion based stuff the you know what's making me frustrated what's making you feel top dog and all of those things that go into that so I wonder if we might kind of take a step back from all of that then and go all right well what what is or what are emotions then I think that might be a good place for us to start uh, great starting point a uh, uh, little question with uh, with many many answers depending on who you speak to so I don't think there is uh, wide acceptance of a single definition of emotion mm-hmm. but what I think features in most definitions <coughs> that get accepted and support from from most is the fact that it's a process. So an emotion is a process. It happens to us, it's mm-hmm. not something we choose. And um, uh, it helps us to deal with matters of importance to our welfare without thinking. And uh, that little cluster mm. is important. So it's it's what matters to us uh, because uh, part of uh, emotion and the way we react and respond to stimulant, uh, stimulus triggers, is designed to either save our life, um, enrich our life, mm-hmm. develop relationships, or to motivate action. And uh, that's evolved. Uh, some of that has is, uh, is evolved. So that our primates share the same emotions. And um, they, if we didn't have those, and we just relied on conscious thought, mm-hmm. uh, we probably wouldn't survive uh, to be the uh, well, 59 plus years that I'd managed to make riding difficult motorbikes. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm riding a motorcycle, we had a couple of incidents where um, vehicles and animals come onto the tracks. Mm. And uh, thinking and training doesn't come into this. It's just uh, an object coming into sight, triggers a response of uh, threat. And, uh, and then the uh, fear of harm from that, uh, it makes you move away from the object. Yeah. And working out the vectors of the speed and the size of the animal or the vehicle coming from uh, your peripheral vision mm. and working out whether you're going fast enough, slow enough uh, to make that, uh, all that happens in a flash. And so the swerve of the handlebars, uh, the avoidance of the, uh, of the object seems to be uh, happening much of our time without thought. Yeah. And sometimes that can get us into trouble. Mm. Uh, so emotions uh, are designed to help us, but also they can get us into trouble because sometimes they don't serve pro-social behaviour. Yes. And, and I know we'll, later we'll come on to that kind of distinction between pro-social and anti-social because I think that's a really useful distinction to um, to make. It, but one of the things you kind of mentioned in there was the, um, the fact that emotions happen to us. They're kind of unbidden in that way. Um, no, I was tagged in a um, I was tagged in a tweet by a lady called Jane Harrison last week, where she was sharing a, a piece of research that had been published by some authors saying that they'd shattered the narrative that um, emotion, especially the facial expression of emotion, is isn't something that's innate. It's something that people will use to um, manipulate situations. So they will perform. 
um, emotion as well as it kind of happening in an unbidden way. So way, way back in your original thing, you said not, not everybody can agree. So does everybody agree that emotions are unbidden or can they be performed as well? There are some, uh, some outlier uh, researchers who, mm. uh, who try and challenge uh, the, uh, the widely accepted um, approach that the emotions happen to us. Mm. So most of those who have studied emotions uh, for, for most of their career, yeah. uh, and including, uh, this is not just psychologists, uh, this is the neuroscientists as well, uh, agree that there's an automatic appraisal process that's going on below our consciousness even when we're asleep. Mm. Um, and then uh, if something is, uh, is, is triggered, there's a, an affect program activation which, uh, which sends out impulses. Those impulses are the first point at which we can sense something's going on. Mm. However, the, uh, that recent research uh, uh, suggests that the emotion is, uh, is used to manipulate the, uh, the environment or others. That's, that's true too, mm. because uh, first of all is the raw felt emotion, yep. which is very hard to manage and interrupt because it happens in less than 500 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So those impulses are, uh, uh, most people agree, uh, Joe Ledoux, um, the neuroscientist, says you'll never remove the, uh, the effect of a strong trigger uh, of those impulses. You can weaken, weaken, mm-hmm. the, weaken the effect. But uh, most of his research is on rats and it uh, transfers to humans is that uh, you can't remove a trigger, especially a powerful one, once we, we have it, whether that's evolved or, or, so, or learned. Yeah. So, but however, the, when you get to uh, after uh, 500 milliseconds, you then move into, is the way I'm going to behave right now appropriate for the context and the goals and the person I'm with and for, or just for my, my thinking? Mm. So this, uh, do, do I need to interrupt my thinking because this is destructive and negative for me? Or is, um, is this leading to, can I see this manifesting itself into behaviour? which is um, uh, probably destructive for a relationship. Okay. And at that point, we may choose to interrupt it. Uh, so there's an interrupt needed uh, in some social situations mm-hmm. where the natural players of the emotion could be destructive. Okay. Like my grandmother giving me a piece of cake that's uh, disgusting. She yep. loves me, I love her. For me to show disgust and my true feelings as soon as that cake touches my tongue, would be uh, offensive and cruel. Yeah. So you have to try and mask that as much as you can, and yeah. sometimes you can't, so that you can uh, portray maybe a false emotion for good reasons uh, to the other person. So uh, using it as a transmission tool to manipulate an environment uh, is often done for, for, for good reasons. A mm-hmm. poker player might want to do it for, for um, competitive reasons yeah, yeah. about the card they picked up. And uh, so, uh, and face is a signaling tool. That's mm. part of uh, why the face uh, we believe is wired up to what happens in that half a second. Is this long distance signaling tool that doesn't need words, and mm. um, that can help uh, a species or a, a group to stay together and perpetuate their species, and um, uh, keep each other alert and aware. So it can be used to communicate it to others. And sometimes that might be used to manipulate or uh, to guide someone else's behaviour for our own ends. Uh, whatever the purpose or the goal is, that's for the individual. Yeah. But, uh, but for, for, for emotions to be something that are uh, chosen, uh, that, selects, that suggests uh, cognition. Mm-hmm. And we know uh, things are happening before 
conscious awareness happens that uh, that motivate and trigger behaviour and physiological responses. Mm. So the, the the current research is, is is perhaps right, but what they're discussing is something that's way down the emotional timeline, three quarters of a second down that timeline. Uh, the uh, the raw real emotions, the basic emotional theory, uh, is uh, is not counted by many, and uh, that starts to happen at three hundred, four hundred milliseconds. Yeah, and 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 I think the I mean, so we know that emotions can be performed because actors do it on stage all the time. You know, so we we, we I think there's there's plenty of evidence that says yes, um, people can. When I say perform an emotion, so they can they can make the either the visual or auditory cues that would suggest an emotion is being experienced. Now, whether that emotion is being experienced or not, that that may or may not be the case depending on the individual. So there are certain you know. So I know that actors will get taught certain strategies to make their voice sound like they're sad, or um, will get taught certain strategies, whether that be through you, know, you. You then look at something like memory recall as a strategy to recreate an emotional state. You you might argue then actually what you're doing is you you are feeling the emotion again as opposed to just making the um, making the voice change so it sounds like you are something rather than actually being something. Yeah. And this is uh, Stanislavski technique is taught to many actors and it works on those two two sides. It's the memory recall. Uh, the you don't need an event to trigger an emotion. It could be memory. Uh, could be imagination. Mm. And um, then by going back in time to a sad moment can help you to create. A, uh, the sensations of sadness which can make you perform a sad role effectively mm. I worry about the uh, neuroses and psychoses issues uh, my youngest son is an actor and uh, that's the way he was being coached early on in his career and that worried me a little bit in terms of replaying sad episodes in his life as a technique for bringing on an emotion as well as remembering the script and performing right, yeah, yeah. it's too complicated you can just do it with your physiology so uh, that's the technique he now uses and um, it's uh, the, the phrase fake it till you feel it uh, is uh, is what I use with him is if you can fake and manipulate the right muscles and body and voice as you mentioned earlier yeah. uh, the emotion and the physiology is a two way street the physiology creates, creates the uh, emotion the emotion creates the physiology mm. so if you can control your muscles and uh, replicate the, uh, the expression especially the reliable muscles on the face those are powerful then you can uh, engage that emotion within seconds uh, in order to perform a emotional role, and it's not uh, it is it is a real emotion if it's done correctly. Um, mm. So you might start you fake it initially, but fake it till you feel it, and then uh, it'd be very hard for anyone to distinguish um, my son when he's in a sad state performing uh, from him being sad in natural life. Yeah. Okay. Um, and when earlier on, when you were talking about that, um, the emotions can so there's a there's the, the the radar or the automatic appraisal that's always going. Find something that's important to our welfare. Then there's a it, it then will run a, an affect program which is linked to a particular emotion, and then the awareness can kick in a bit further down the line. And one of the things that you briefly kind of touched on, which I just want to go back to, is the idea that the um, the self-limiting effects that emotion can have. So, for example, I was chatting with somebody recently on the podcast about anxiety, and one of one of the conversations that we had, kind of pre and off air, was how sometimes they can be prone to 
seeing things as anxiety provoking that don't have that, that they're not actually anxiety provoking but a message will, or something will be said or a message will be sent and then they they see it or they hear it and then they interpret that as oh that's about me or oh that's yeah. challenging my you know do you not believe me or do you, are you doubting me or not you know believe my credibility so that um that that interrupt can be about self-talk as well as not wanting to offend your grandmother, if that yes, makes sense. Absolutely. And the I tend to use the word theory one, theory two. Uh, so uh, if you if there's a trigger that resembles something in your uh, database, your emotional alert database, or something from your past that was powerful, it mm. could be a very early script uh, that um, was damaging and traumatic. And if something resembles or reminds you of that episode, it can very quickly uh, bring on the same emotion that uh, you'd felt at that time. And um, the, so that, that brings you into uh, self-management techniques, which uh, once you've got the awareness of self, it's then uh, managing, uh, uh, managing that emotion if it's destructive or inappropriate, uh, which is inappropriate because of intensity, because of the emotional type, uh, because of the duration, or because you're conducting it and uh, playing it out in a harmful way. Uh, if, if any of those are at play, then it could be wise to interrupt. Mm. And one of the interrupt techniques uh, that, uh, that can be used is to develop a theory two. So mm-hmm. if, if, if there's something promoting anxiety, it may be scratching and uh, picking at some rawness from, from history. Uh, and uh, say um, I was attacked in a dark street in an, um, or near an ATM machine by, by a guy in a black coat with black hair and uh, he uh, took my money and uh, pushed me around a little bit. It may be that the, I associate uh, the trigger of uh, men with black hair and coats mm-hmm. with that association and it can start my heart beating. Um, yeah, okay. So uh, that needs a theory too. Theory one is this guy is the same guy and he's gonna give, I'm going to experience the same thing. Theory mm-hmm. two is uh, there's a lot of black coats, uh, this is another guy. Um, yeah. So uh, some, uh, if there's a positive mindset, that you can program, pre-program yourself with even before you go into dark streets, then uh, that can help weaken uh, the effect. Joe Ledoux says, once it's in, so that your friend with the anxiety, once it's in, you'll never remove it, mm. is, um, is a neuroscientist's uh, view, uh, whether you, uh, you accept that or not. Um, but the, by using self-management techniques, you should be able to reduce the impact and effect and the speed at which you can recover. Okay. So that would be about understanding uh, why am I so abnormally, uh, inverted commas, um, uh, overreacting in situations like this where most of my peers don't. And usually you can track that back to a, a value, like um, uh, it's someone not trusting. Uh, so, yeah, it's, yeah. so with your friend it could be to do with trust or faith or it could be to do with... Um, um, it's in integrity, uh, uh, care, uh, love. There could be all yeah, sorts, of, sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. sorts of value-based yeah. stuff. So if there's a powerful value-based word, um, which um, is brought into the frame when that trigger happens, then it'd be uh, uh, that will be uh, wrapped around this perhaps script that was maybe created created in childhood. Or, yeah. Okay. Or a powerful one in adulthood. So uh, there's a, there were a couple of terms that you used. And I wasn't going to go to this one first, but you've just used it again, so I'll go to it. Um, which is script. So f- uh, 
in, in this context, so we talked about a script once already when we were talking about a acting script when you're talking about your yeah. son. Um, so in this, in a kind of an emotion context then, what, what does that script mean or what does script mean in that context? It's a psychological term which is almost like a, um, uh, an autopilot, which uh, a, a script or a story or uh, a series of episodes are rammed and immersed together in a powerful way that whenever that's triggered, this uh, script or scenario uh, plays out in your mind. Mm. And uh, that can contaminate the way you perceive and deal with a different uh, episode which is happening now. Okay. So it's, uh, it's, um, it's the uh, mistaken transfer of uh, historical episodes to a current episode. And um, the, there's no episode can be identical. Yeah. But they, if they're similar enough, sometimes that's enough to wake up the script and say, here we go again. And, mm. um, uh, and that can cause uh, an amplification, almost like you're looking through filtered glasses and you perceive the world differently than it actually is. And yeah. That could save your life if it's almost exactly the same situation, mm. but it can also interrupt constructive relationships if you let that perpetuate your the way you live your life. Mm. I, I remember there was a um, there was a guy who I used to work with who um, at, at my first kind of big meeting, uh, well not so a new enroll. I think I've been enrolled about two or three months. First big meeting where I was putting forward like what the strategy for my department would be. Um, and this person was a important stakeholder that I hadn't engaged effectively, looking back on it now. Um, and what happened was in that meeting, he openly critiqued my strategy and I felt massively undermined and massively threatened by that. Um, but what I found for a good six months after was I was just angry with him. No matter, so even if he was just walking towards me in the corridor, it would just bring back all of those memories of, of that initial meeting. And whenever I would go and talk to him about some work we had to do together, if he ever challenged or critiqued or disagreed with anything I said, I, would, I, would dispro- I remember disproportionately getting annoyed at him, but then later on reflecting that what I was doing was I was pulling back on all of that first experience because I felt massively undermined, massively challenged and that I could have lost my credibility within a short period of time. And actually all he was doing was trying to help me be successful because what he was saying was here are some key issues I see with your strategy. But the mistake I'd made is I hadn't engaged him early enough. So, and he was very matter of fact, very, you know, so his kind of characteristics were very matter of fact, very direct, very open. So he was just, as far as he was concerned, he was helping me but I interpreted it as a huge threat to my um, yeah. huge threat to my credibility. There you go. Uh, theory one is uh, he's trying to harm me, and theory two is perhaps he's trying to help me. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And um, by by saying uh, this guy's got some style issues, his communication skills aren't great, but mm. no, none of us are perfect. Yeah. Um, but uh, with the warts and all, I'm sure he's got a good heart, and uh, he just wants to help me. Some people are bad guys, uh, bad ladies, but uh, 98% of the world are good people and uh, do want to help. And uh, so I guess you, yeah. you adopted theory too, did you? Yeah, I got there in the end. Tell me what's got me in the end. Um, and then the other term that you used was uh, an emotion alert database. Mm. Um, so one of the, I guess one of the challenges I think that I, I know, I have one of the discussion. One of the discussion points I often have around emotion is: is it nature or nurture? And I say, well, it's a bit of both. And is that what the emotional database is about? 
that's what most people accept and uh, support. And uh, this is from a lot of work done uh, based on Darwin's work, but uh, Paul Ekman and Sylvan Tompkins, who was Paul Ekman's mentor, mm-hmm. have, uh, have used this language that we're using now in terms of affect program and um, emotional alert database. So yes, uh, the, uh, the the many of the signals uh, uh, in the database uh, we believe have evolved, mm-hmm. and um, but some of them have learned. Uh, so they could be, uh, for example, uh, some some adults are scared of the clowns from the circus, and uh, you can understand uh, most people being uh, being uh, probably scared of a dropping gravity so mm-hmm. if the floor was to drop six six inches most people would experience fear yeah um, many people experience fear if they have a poisonous snake um, in proximity and mm-hmm. uh, it's attacking them uh, the fear is, is normal for chimpanzees babies and uh, humans so those have probably evolved uh, but the clown in the circus uh, the uh, could be something maybe a script so yeah. something bad happened in a circus and uh, this uh, the fear of the unknown we like things that are comfortable and known mm. and this unknown thing with a big red nose making loud noises he was only trying to or she was trying to entertain us yeah but that could have uh, gone into some uh, child's emotional database that be careful this is a dangerous thing yeah and almost uh, that can then become a phobia no matter how much reassurance from parents or even therapy uh, the the sign of a of a, a clone that's made up uh, can uh, can trigger that database mm. and it's like a fish trap uh, this is Joel to do again he says almost like a lobster pot once that's in it's very 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 difficult even with all the uh, support and therapy and psychiatric psychiatric help to to pull that out mm. so that would be a learn trigger rather than an evolved uh, trigger yeah or association and it doesn't have to be exact it can just resemble it's something that resembles a clown could be enough to trigger that emotion again yeah okay um so we we've talked about um and we, we didn't language it in this way but we talked about that self-awareness i suppose no, you did say self-awareness so we talked about self-awareness um and then we've also got uh, in the classic kind of Goldman two by two grid, you've got the awareness, self-awareness, then um, self-management, and then awareness of others and, and other management, yes. for want of a better phrase. And, and, and I guess that's probably the most common model or framework around emotional intelligence. But one of the challenges I, I guess I have with that term, with that two by two and the term emotional intelligence in general, is it's those two words make up and my listeners can't see how wide my arms are going, but those two words, emotional intelligence, make up this massive kind of um, variety and breadth and depth of, of stuff that's all been kind of pulled together in a, in a two by two. So what, what's your working definition of emotional intelligence, if you have one? It's, you've, you, you probably capture it with what you've just said there by describing the two-by-two two grid. Uh, so whether it's um, uh, Jack Mayer or Peter Solove who did a lot of work with Crusoe on the Mesquite model, uh, which um, your listeners uh, may have heard of. So they worked hard on a, an ability model and uh, they had the four-branch model. Mm-hmm. And then you described uh, Daniel Goleman who did a, a lot of work publishing and making... Um, uh, bringing this into the public arena around the two by two matrix of self-awareness, self-management, being aware of others and managing the interaction with them. 
So if you incorporate those four corners of that two by two grid into a sentence, you're not far off a definition that most people would accept. Yeah. However, many of the uh, definitions are um, uh, not comprehensive enough uh, because I know this is dear to your heart as well because uh, to judge competence, whether you take the ability framework or the trait descriptors, we can come to that later, uh, if you're judging uh, the emotional intelligence of an individual, then I would suggest that's impossible unless you can get to a decision on the appropriateness of their behavior or thinking in context Mm. and with a goal. So unless you know their goal, if you've not got information about the context, uh, them, the other, uh, what's going on around them, uh, where they come from, their culture, their background, and the other persons, unless you know uh, the intricacies of the micro-context of the interaction that they're, um, uh, they're exchanging, um, say, having a discussion or a, a disagreement in, uh, and if you don't know the macro-context about their values and beliefs and their culture, and uh, from what they might be bringing to the table in their rucksack, uh, their invisible rucksack, then uh, if you've not got um, uh, any way of ascertaining uh, and bringing that into the table to judge whether someone is behaving appropriately, uh, you'll be guessing. Mm. So, uh, so that's what the challenge for assessing emotional intelligence is. Uh, first of all, you need a framework that respects culture and brings culture into play uh, in the fr- and uh, the wider issues, which we just call context. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Absolutely. And uh, context must feature. Now, unfortunately, uh, there are about six or seven popular models now with assessment tools around uh, for emotional intelligence. Um, many of them neglect uh, cult- uh, the context. Yep. And mo- many of them also uh, don't uh, respect goals. What's the goal of the interaction? Mm. So my goal with you isn't always pro-social. If, yep. I'm, if I'm a poker player, I want to beat you. Mm. Uh, I don't care if you're hurting and you lose money. No, that would hurt. Uh, this, this That phrase would cause concern to some. Um, and therefore, that brings another thing into, uh, which is a problem for the models, is... Uh, they're contaminated with uh, value-laden or uh, role-laden uh, aspects. So Daniel Goleman was uh, designed for leadership. Yeah. Uh, if, I, if, if, this is, if I want emotional intelligence for me and my wife, mm. then uh, there's no leadership there. We're equals. Uh, yeah. Well, I would say that my wife Ellen <laughs> might say she's the boss. Um, but, um, but leadership is a contaminant. Uh, if we want a pure generic model, if we're striving for the equivalent of an IQ model, which is generic and widely applicable, then we need an EQ model, which has got uh, the same clarity. And even, uh, and this is not going to be popular, uh, is the even if the intent of the model is not pro-social and and to do with well-being. So Mm. many, many of the models uh, have criteria in them that uh, are driven towards uh, everyone feeling happy and good and uh, working together and uh, constructive uh, and cooperative. And uh, in poker and big business, sometimes the if I'm Pepsi and you're Coke, my job is to beat you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the mission statement of Pepsi, to beat Coke. So I, I want to beat you, uh, not physically, uh, but competitively in, yeah, yeah. in a fair way on the market. 
to protect the employees who have given their their lives to our company because that's my duty and responsibility mm. and to serve our customers hopefully without being destructive and damaging to any of our competitors um, but competitive business everyone wants 60% market share three companies can't have that okay so earlier on you talked about Salavi, Mayer and Caruso and then you talked about Goldman and, and looked at both of those in terms of ways of potentially trying to assess somebody's emotional quotient or to, to assess someone's emotional intelligence. So for, for the listener that might not be familiar with each of those approaches, do you want to give us a bit more of a, what's the synopsis of the Salavi Mera Crusoe's work? And then you did a little bit about Goldman, so is there anything else you'd want to add around that? Just give us a synopsis of both so that... Okay. Before we, before we, I know we want to unpick them, but just before we unpick them. Yeah, uh, this, um, it probably would help um, those new to this field to, uh, to visualise um, three models or three types of model or two in a hybrid. You've got one which is ability. Uh, that's the um, based heavily on the word intelligence. Uh, intelligence is defined in the dictionary about the ability to acquire and apply knowledge. Okay. So if you need to acquire and apply knowledge, then uh, when you think of IQ tests, it's your ability to uh, reason with numbers, reason with uh, uh, numerical, verbal reasoning, spatial ability. Yeah. So you get uh, given tests, and there's right and wrong answers decided by either the uh, science, the theory, or the experts. Okay. There's a series of right and wrong answers, yep. and therefore you accept that uh, these qualities of these 13 assessment tools or eight assessment tools cover the factors, is the word that the, um, the researchers use. They cover the factors which together make up the construct of IQ. Okay. So it might be separate tests, it might be an integrated test, but they are tests in the words that we would understand them. That um, have right and wrong answers yeah, and so on. Yeah, yeah. almost like, um, more like maths and physics rather than uh, doing an essay for English. Yeah. So there's right and wrong answers, and they can be marked by a computer almost if you take IQ. So uh, th- those are ability-based. Uh, some people use the word competence, uh, and uh, competence is having the knowledge, understanding, and skill and ability to do something. Mm-hmm. So you need the underpinning knowledge and understanding to transfer that ability to different contexts. So good competence models will have a solid knowledge base, understanding base, yep. to allow transfer of knowledge. And then that uh, skill, will be able to apply that in a specific context and then transfer that performance to a range of contexts when you're under pressure. So an aircraft uh, pilot uh, may learn in the classroom first about the theory of the clocks and uh, the altitude and the weather. Then they'll go into a flight simulator to develop the skill. Uh, but in the end, uh, they'll be then tested in that flight simulator and then as a co-pilot with 246 real breathing humans at the back of them. Mm. Because you can't rely on people performing in a simulator and then being let loose to captain a plane. Okay. Because uh, we've changed the context. We've now got breathing bodies in the back of the car, in the back of the uh, the plane, uh, and the uh, the individual pilot could lose it and yeah. not be able to cope with that pressure. So we need to test them in pressurized situations. That's one of the big weaknesses in current assessment tools to do with ability. The stakes are low. Uh, they're uh, simplistic, theoretical. Context is often ignored. And um, the, uh, the reliability then of using the score in that simulator, 
whatever assessment uh, session involves, uh, the reliability of that being a predictive score that this person can perform in high-stake individual situations uh, is maybe questioned. Okay. So that's the ability uh, stream. You then have a, a trait, uh, a camp of, of uh, trait uh, believers and advocates. Trait is, uh, another word for trait is maybe personality. So some it's words that are used to describe people, so optimistic, pessimistic, introvert. Uh, there are many psychometric instruments on the market that, uh, that cover uh, trait, personality, mm. constructs. And those are largely assessed by self-report. So uh, you'll have a questionnaire describing, it'll give you four words or it'll give you a couple of scenarios and then you'll describe, uh, if, yeah, if this was me, if I was there, then I would likely do this. And so you're, you're, you're self-reporting against a framework of traits uh, or personality descriptors. Yeah. Uh, so then you have in the middle, uh, which is um, uh, Daniel Goldman's in, in here. In fact, most of the other models, apart from Mosquito, are in the middle. Uh, there's very few pure trait models. Yep. Most of them are mixed. What mixed means is uh, there's a mix of competencies, traits, personalities and qualities. So, mm. so, uh, so some of those models in the middle would, can, would have statements like um, customer orientation. No, that's an attitude. Um, others will have uh, empathy. Now, empathy is a skill. Mm. Uh, the, it's, 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 it's a skill. That you need knowledge and understanding and a skill to, to do empathy. Empathic uh, falls onto a trait, but the word mm -hmm. used in, um, uh, in many models is uh, empathy. So they'll mix it with a skill. So you've got a, a quality, which is an attitude, and then optimistic, which is a trait. Mm. So you've got a trait, an attitude, and a skill and others have knowledge, uh, your, uh, your able ability to label your emotion. Okay. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, that's knowledge, that's theory. Mm -hmm. So to put a word against a group of sensations in your body, yeah. that's a skill and but you need the knowledge first of the word, that's why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. EI, emotional intelligence, is hard to assess in a one-year-old uh, because, mm. because uh, the emotional labels uh, are the emotions themselves. So the sensations and the feelings we give labels to them and so when we feel joyous we call it happy and uh, joyous even you know it's not a word a, a baby would manage but uh, it's the elatingness the warmth the, yeah, yeah. the the pleasant sensations yeah and then we attach these labels uh, and we call those words the emotion but they're just words mm. and they're Right now, we're using English words. Some uh, some languages don't have exact replicas, so we've got to be yeah, careful yeah. with languages. So you've got your uh, trait, your ability, and mixed. And then uh, to complicate matters further, and I just feel so sorry for the the human resources manager who's been tasked to can you bring an emotional intelligence tool, in. tool into <laughs> the yeah. company or the organisation? Because uh, first of all, you have this uh, array of models. And uh, all, all of them have the, pro have the problems. Uh, even the authors and the scientists who develop them uh, criticise their own models. Mm. No, nobody's happy that we've got an emotional intelligence competence uh, framework and assessment diagnostic tool that goes with it that's, um, that's good enough yet. And, uh, and those from the right camp, uh, the, uh, the uh, trait camp, will criticise the ability and the ability will criticise the trait. And there's many, um, the other challenge for those who are trying to buy or select a model 
is you've got to work out the commercial interests because many of the model designers will then work with a company to construct uh, an instrument to measure it and then they get um, uh, signed into non-disclosures and you must protect and defend and never criticise your own work. No, scientists must criticise their own work but if you start to criticise a tool you have a, a stake in then that can get interesting. So it's, it's a fabulous, uh, fabulously fascinating arena where you've got uh, about, well, there's uh, maybe a hundred really good researchers focusing just on this uh, with many, many scientific papers being produced, picking holes and challenging and trying to find this uh, panacea, uh, trying to find the holy grail of mm. uh, what's, what's the model. And, it is, uh, and I guess this is a bit of a loaded question. Well, that's not a bit of a loaded question. It is a loaded question. Is, is there a need for a panacea? Is there a need for an agreed model or a model of assessment at least? If um, if you're looking at uh, the some form of benchmark that can survive cultural global differences and be used as a fair instrument for selection, team building, recruitment. Uh, and so on. Yeah. Then, um, then like uh, IQ, we've we've probably got uh, something there for IQ now that uh, most people accept is okay for screening children into private schools yeah. or for screening people into employment. Uh, so the uh, the the IQ is seen to be uh, the differentiator. If we want to uh, try and recruit someone that's got a reliable um, uh, chance of succeeding in this pathway, whether it be in education or career, then is there a way that we, we don't want to make mistakes after two years, it's expensive to recruit a CEO and then release them after six months or two years because they can't do the job, Mm -hmm. they're not competent. So if we want a predictive instrument that can guarantee success in whatever arena, in marriage, volunteer work, uh, politics, teaching, um, leadership, negotiation, police, uh, security. If we want to try and predict, uh, apart from just the knowledge base and the academic uh, ability, their ability to deal with emotions uh, of themselves and others, then um, we've got to try and help provide a a tool to do that. Mm. And currently we don't have one. I retired from my my day job uh, 10 years ago when I was 49 uh, to try and find that tool. And I spent six years uh, without success, and now I've had to uh, try and contribute a little bit towards that myself. So, mm. uh, because uh, I'm uh, I'm frustrated at the lack of a a model which is scientifically validated. Most of these are theories. Yeah. Most most are theories, uh, and they're adapted and changed. Well, you know, one day it's eighteen competencies, then oh, we didn't like to, so we changed it. It's now sixteen and twenty one. Uh, so they've changed on the fly uh, without mm. um, without empirical research and um, if people are going to use those to train uh, say high stake situations like uh, soldiers fighting in the um, uh, high stake environments if those are going to be used for selection uh, and support and development they've got to be able to be trusted and so uh, I, uh, I worry about the reliability of the current frameworks. So I'm going to go a little bit philosophical for a moment. So when you talked about the predict the the ability to predict then, or the uh, maybe a, a desire or a want to predict, um, comparing IQ and EQ, 
or looking for a or looking for an assessment approach that is similar across those two is that a is that an ecologically valid way to go so I, I guess maybe and I said I'm, like, I'm getting a bit philosophical so is intelligence fixed you know so whether that be emotional intelligence or cognitive ability are those are those things fixed and in which case then what does an assessment give you it gives you a moment in time interpretation of where somebody is either cognitive ability or emotion ability wise um but can, can either of those or both of those be developed over time so i'm not really sure what my question is if i'm honest i think i've just said well i think i think where you're going is a no it's a it's a nice track because the iq uh, the iq test for a seven-year-old are different from an iq test for an 18 year old mm. And uh, because the uh, the IQ measure is a ratio of their ability against their age. Okay. So if you take the IQ measure, if I'm 100, it means I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm like the average intelligence of my age. Uh, yeah. So I'm either over or under that in terms of it's, it's almost norm based. Yeah. Uh, but you've got the right wrong answer system in the centre. So if you're taking um, the the, uh, the claim that your IQ is fixed. So it's a straight line graph um, mm. between your intelligence um, and ability to answer these tests will stay the same. You won't suddenly increase it or decrease it. It's based on um, uh, the thinking that the um, that your ability is not fixed. It's not that your knowledge and understanding sticks at a six-year-old. Six it just progresses uh, at a, so on a straight line graph. Okay. So you're born with it. Uh, you're born with that ability, and no matter what people do to you, uh, you you can't be changed on that line. Is 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 what many people accept. Okay, I challenge that. Uh, I'm not convinced uh, because the uh, the IQ is based on academic scholastic intelligence. Howard, okay. Howard Gardner has multiple intelligences, and the uh, the academic uh, element of that is only uh, two three parts. So for someone to be, um, to predict whether someone can succeed in life, work, social relationships, uh, or whatever it's being used for, from testing a small percentage of their ability across mm -hmm. a range, if you yeah. take our gardener, uh, worries me. And it's, uh, it's, so it's been hijacked, uh, IQ has been hijacked by the, um, by the school mm -hmm. and the university system. Yeah. And um, that worries me that we're creating swollen heads at the cost of big hearts. So uh, ah, that's a nice. You like that one? I like that one. Yeah. That was good. So, so the um, so the I value academic intelligence, even though the word academic itself means of no practical use. I still value <laughs> academic intelligence. <laughs> academic intelligence. <laughs> Um, because the discipline and the uh, and the, uh, the and the framework and the processes that it encourages you to go through with your thinking uh, can give you great results. So um, the, you've got the academic, and I'm not just going to say it's academic and emotional. And emotional is the one. Mm. The if I'm the best footballer in the world, I may not be very good at school and maths and verbal reasoning, and numerical reasoning. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm really good at my sport or an artist, and um, mm. 
so I'm successful in my chosen pathway. Yeah. If I'm a volunteer, if I just choose to uh, uh, to uh, help others all my life uh, in a in a volunteer business, uh, then uh, I don't need uh, an IQ uh, test to tell me uh, that I can do that. Yeah. So I think it's um, we need to move over IQ. There's room for some more, uh, and we need to uh, challenge that pole position that perpetuates the scholastic system from academia and learning into becoming teachers uh, because it's a pathway which I think is isolating and um, I would rather see a range of qualities uh, assessed and taught in schools Mm. and one of my my passions and goals is to at least do my bit with the emotional intelligence other people will handle sports and manual dexterity and uh, but to bring the emotional intelligence into four-year-olds and nine-year-olds. So reading, writing, arithmetic uh, is fine, but emotional skill and competence deserves a place for the four-year-old. And uh, until uh, we get a model that's robust enough uh, and tested with adults, uh, we, we don't uh, bring anything into schools. It's been tested and piloted. There's a program called Social Emotional Learning, Social mm. Emotional Aspects of Learning across America and the UK. Yeah, yeah. But that's just um, uh, a adaptation of competency frameworks mm-hmm. uh, that were developed for leaders. It's a it's a false fit. So we need a generic core model uh, that can fit uh, for a four year old. Well, first we need the adult model. Then we need to see how does that need to be changed. Mm. Uh, because if that's accepted as a, a benchmark for adults, then uh, the subset of that needs to be how can we then develop a framework that can help us track and benchmark individuals so that we can design interventions which can help them deal with their own emotions and the emotions of others uh, in an early stages because that's a life skill. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can get that life skill in early on, we need to make sure that the framework and the tools we're using are reliable. Mm. And um, the uh, I would I dare move into it, uh, which I've been a governor for 25 years with a primary school, and they're begging me to get this in, and I dare move in until we've got the validation of the models we're currently working on uh, to take them into four-year-olds. It would mm. be irresponsible. But right now they're getting very little. Yeah. yeah. So uh, at my children's school, my son, he's in reception now, um, and. As much as I don't like it, they uh, so the current um, they're currently working on what they call red thoughts and green thoughts. So red thoughts being kind of put in those negative camp, and then green thoughts being put in the positive camp. Um, and a I don't like the framing of that as red and green thoughts. Um, but anyway, before I, I won't digress into that. <laughs> but I agree with you. There is so much more that can be done. You know, if, that, if that's the best we can do right now, come on. We, we've got to be able to do better than that, surely. Yeah, surely. It's so basic. Uh, I mean, there was some. It's a step forward, I guess. Uh, it's better than nothing, maybe. Uh, but I have the same reservations you have when you say that. There's a there's a book out now called uh, Seeing Red. It's been out a while, and uh, it's dealing predominantly with anger, and uh, it's not framing it too much as uh, negative, uh, but it's it's how to handle it. And so and there are some good good pieces in, in that. So I guess if um, uh, it's like uh, if you see someone and they've had a car accident, some people are worried to intervene. Sometimes, uh, you know, intervene mm-hmm. uh, with something that's, uh, that's partly going the right way, 
is maybe better than doing nothing. Mm. Uh, you, you can't steer a stationary car, so let's get the car rolling, I guess. But I still can't bring myself to take anything into the school system right now. In two years, I think we'll be ready. Mm. But right now, um, the I'm not, not ready to... Uh, take anything into a school environment. We've got 20 schools, they'll expand to 200 schools with funding already in place, um, but um, we're just not right there, not mm. there yet. Okay, so so w- where have you got to then? So you said you're, you're not far off, so tell, us where, tell me where you've got to. Well, I think I'm one of the oldest students in Manchester now because the, uh, I re-enrolled for um, uh, a PhD. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, so I'm now in the middle of a PhD, which is creating, um, doing a critical analysis of the emotional intelligence models, uh, leading to um, a generic model and uh, an assessment methodology. So that's the the, the focus, uh, because I thought if, if no one else is going to create that, maybe I, I need to get my sleeves rolled up. Yeah. So I choose to um, I chose to do that under a PhD for the rigor and the again I do value the academia yeah, and, and yeah. the research methodology. Uh, so by going back to uh, to to wrap this under a PhD gives me the chance to produce something that's going to uh, work in as much as it can do, uh, but also open it up to critique. So uh, I've got the luxury of um, of the some of the people we're talking about uh, being on a like an advisory board to critique the pathway of, of the journey, mm. and I've got ninety nine subject matter experts who are standing ready to. Uh, look at the right wrong answers in terms of emotional intelligence. So uh, once that's been validated, the model is is uh, that's resulting is a result of a critical analysis of all those in place. Okay, so uh, identifying what the gaps are, but what the strengths are as well, and yeah, and it's um, the any any model that comes out the other end won't be perfect, uh, but it's got to survive the strong critiques uh, that are coming from both camps, from mm. the ability and the trade side and the mixed mixed model side. So my aim is to try and uh, handle the uh, flaws in the existing tools as judged by the scientific community and create a framework uh, which is uh, then going to describe something that could maybe become uh, an emotional intelligence, an EQ score or an EI score that people might um, see as having value. Okay. And how are you feeling about that? Uh, it's it's a little bit scary because the um, it's not easy and um, there's a lot of uh, interest in the field, uh, but the early signs and the feedback I'm getting from uh, from the people who are advising, so I have a good supervision team, uh, so you need that critique and challenge. But I've also got some subject matter experts and gurus, so mm. uh, I'm lucky to have Paul Ekman um, uh, giving me uh, feedback. There's um, uh, people like uh, Dan Soklotsky, mm-hmm. who's, um, who's pulled together a lot of work on assessing emotional intelligence. So uh, he's, uh, he's mentoring uh, the work too. Mm. So he's, he's taking us forward. Uh, Jack, uh, Jack Mayer has offered to help. Okay. Uh, not on any tool, uh, because that will conflict with his own yeah, work, yeah. but yeah. Uh, support the PhD. So supporting the thinking and methodology, uh, some of the prime movers and shakers, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Brackett, one of their uh, protégés, uh, uh, Peter Salovey and Jack Mayer's uh, uh, protégé, one of their prime students, is now mm-hmm. working um, at, he's uh, heading up emotional intelligence um, and um, uh, doing a lot of good work. And I'm interested in his support because he's also working with children. 
So that's okay. my, my my long term goal. So I'm I'm very very fortunate to have a few people uh, on tap to help yeah, with yeah. with the development in the other stages. And then there's a fabulous team of uh, 99 people from the Emotional Intelligence Consortium, uh, which I've recently joined, so I can access their talent because the criteria for them as subject matter experts is something that I wanted to clarify because that's something that's criticised mm. with Mesquite. They had 19 experts who were um, from a conference that some people say, were they really experts? Uh, yeah, okay. They were PhD students. Um, uh, what, what, what have they done? Yeah. What have they published? Whereas the, uh, the EI consortium have got five criteria that they must pass to become a member. Okay. So, uh, so it's the challenge is cleaning out that uh, jury uh, to, and if seventy-five percent of them agree that this is an appropriate response in that context for that goal for this person in this situational judgment test, that seems to be the way it's going. Okay. The video-based uh, scenarios where people can see um, uh, what's gone before, what's coming next, how these interrelate. Uh, then uh, uh, you and I have seen how this has been done for leadership. Yeah. 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 So it's the same kind of framework, but used for emotional intelligence competences. Okay. And that seems to be uh, handling most of the critique. And that's covering off the contextual stuff then, because you can, I, I guess within the test, you'll get told this is the wider, broader context, and then here is a, here is a video, or here is something to, to read or watch yeah. or to, yeah. um, and, then, and then is it a case of, so you've just seen that, or yeah. you've seen, you know, here's a 10 minute video with two yeah. minutes in, You've got a choice now. Would you do this, or would you do that, or would you do that, or would you do that? That's it. Yeah. Is what person A did to person B appropriate in that context, or could they handle it differently? And uh, the judgment of the, uh, the person being assessed, uh, we know correlates very highly uh, with their ability to transfer this into the work environment okay. or into the world environment. So the, the research is stacking up that transfer, so the ecolog ecological validity yeah. of the assessing on the instrument needs to be good so that we can predict that they will succeed in a generic sense but you need to put pressure on them so uh, there'll be a time element this is something we we, we didn't experience yeah. in the leadership one but uh, we don't get the chance in negotiations or with uh, a child who comes in at two o'clock in the morning to say hang on a minute can we just freeze frame for 10 minutes or to think about how i respond here mm. so there needs to be uh, one of the contextual elements which is real life is um, a time frame mm. for because we're all emotionally intelligent when the stakes are low yeah, and we've well, got three well, hours to think about that's it. it yeah yeah so uh, we've got to get the green, the amber and the red uh, simulated in any instrument for it to have ecological validity. So how do we simulate the pressure of a military soldier under fire or someone in a, in a, uh, a really violent um, discussion with uh, their wife or husband or partner? Yeah, yeah. And this could lead in divorce and separation. The stakes are high. We've got young children here. Mm. Um, the, uh, I need to handle this appropriately. What's the best thing for me to do right now if both our goals are to stay together. Yeah. Uh, so if the goals are to stay together, uh, we've just had something that's caused an eruption, yeah. then um, there are things you can do which can support or work against, mm. in a constructive or destructive way, the perpetuation of that relationship. Okay, so that, so that covers off the, 
some of the contextual aspects. So one of the other challenges you mentioned earlier on was about cultural. Does it so, so some of the tools don't take into account cultural variations. Is that something that you're planning on trying to address as well? Yeah, uh, because the, um, the, the purists on the ability side say traits have no place in uh, emotional intelligence models. And uh, I believe they're wrong. Uh, because uh, traits uh, are part of the context. So a person's mm -hmm. personality, by me knowing your personality and me knowing my preferences or traits, if you, if you, you can either treat it as an ingrained, it's a genetic feature of me that I'm a, uh, let's say, um, I'm an I'm a extrovert, yeah. let's say, and uh, you're an introvert. Uh, let's say that's ingrained from birth and we believe that's the case. Mm -hmm. Then by me knowing you're an introvert and me, and me knowing I'm an extrovert, if I want to be have a constructive relationship with you, then uh, what's the benefits of me working on that? Mm. Uh, threefold. One, uh, I need to know how I come across. Uh, that's self-awareness. Uh, second, I can work, a, is me and you a good team? Mm. Uh, or do we need a better mix of personalities for this team? But the third thing is, if I know uh, empathically that I want to communicate with you I need to flex my style instead of being gregarious and loud and on the table that sometimes mm. you need some thinking time and you process things internally I need to give you the space for that and maybe talk tune my channel to your channel mm -hmm. and uh, engage uh, with you with your preferences it's like going fishing I, yeah, like, I, yeah. like, I like cream cakes and fish like worms um, but um, uh, so for me to go fishing with a cream cake would be non-productive. I need to work out what the other person likes uh, if I want to uh, achieve my goal. Mm. So, um, so culture uh, fits in that. Uh, and uh, this, this is just, I've, I've put all this under the banner of individual differences. So psychologists agree, everyone is different. Yeah. Now you're unique, there's no one else in the world like you. Uh, you've got your own skill set, your own history, your own personal experiences, your own little tics and idiosyncratic behaviours, yeah. uh, your own stories, uh, your own sexual preferences, uh, the, the, your culture, all that, your own language, uh, all that is um, unique to you. Mm -hmm. And the more I can read that in you about uh, how that's affecting those beliefs and values and your history affects affects you the better able I am to uh, work with you so I've put culture in the same bag as traits personality preferences life experiences gender age uh, whether you're from the city or from the farms uh, so uh, the but I'll be careful not to pigeonhole you into any of those boxes I, I hate boxes, mm. but I'll be aware that that may be um, biasing your habits in behaviour, emotions, or thought. Yeah. So you may have some habits and shortcuts uh, that you're taking, um, and I need to be aware of those to best interact with you. Uh, but uh, but where they fit? Should we should we bring a Carl Jungian model in, or should we bring a um, Myers Briggs model in, or the, the Big Five? Um, I don't think so. I think it's just being aware of differences and some knowledge and understanding of current tools and models might be valuable, but uh, but to when we're face to face with an individual, all the focus should be on that person. Mm. But being aware of those differences in advance uh, need handling uh, to make sure we don't bias, take shortcuts ourselves. Mm. Okay. So we, we've covered a, a lot of ground in that then. So we've, we, we've defined what emotions are or, or what the broadly accepted kind of terms around emotions are. 
Um, and then we've gone into well, what is emotional intelligence? How, how has it been defined and categorized by other people? How might, what are some of the gaps and the issues with that? And where might that go into the future then? So are, are there any um, misconceptions or misunderstandings of emotional intelligence that you think need to be addressed? Yeah, we've touched on some of them. I think there's um, probably about five uh, myths and misconceptions. Uh, one is that there is one model uh, already, and there isn't. Uh, mm. there's, there's some people think, oh, we just look for the emotional intelligence book and it will be based on the model, and uh, that's not the case. And there isn't one of those, no. yeah. So there isn't one of those. And the second myth is that uh, competences can be measured successfully, successfully by self-report. And uh, there's good stats on this with IQ. If you ask someone to, uh, I mean, think how ridiculous that is. If you ask an individual to... Tell me how intelligent you think you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> what's your numer numerical reasoning like? Uh, can you give yourself a, 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 on a scale of 0 to 10? And the correlation between self-report and IQ testing is, is, is weak. It's 0.21. Mm. Uh, so the correlation is... Uh, there is some correlation, but very, very yeah. low, very weak. Yeah. Um, so the idea that it can be assessed reliably is probably myth number two. Uh, myth number three is uh, the IQ model um, uh, seems to be uh, held in high esteem. That any EQ model or emotional intelligence model can only be of value if it correlates with an IQ score. Is that's uh, some people will assess their own model against that as a factor. Really? So yeah. If, so if my model correlates with IQ scores, it's a good one. Okay. And uh, so, I, what, I tell you what, so if somebody scores well on my model and they score well on IQ tests, then that's a... My model is good. My model is good, right, okay. Uh, so I would challenge that, and... Um, I think that's a load of rubbish. I nearly swore then. Yeah. I can smell my podcast. I think that's a load of shit. This is my podcast. I well, there could be no correlation. I, I suspect that this is... I've not seen good research on this, but I suspect there would be a good hypothesis for a PhD here to uh, look at an inverse correlation. Mm. So in other words, the more intelligent you get, the more you know the right answers, the less interested you are in the contributions from others. Mm. Maybe. I mean, yeah, know, yeah. some people yeah. are very good. But there's something about the arrogance that uh, an IIQ or strong knowledge can create. That mm -hmm. If not handled properly, it can be, become a liability. So if there's an inverse correlation, uh, because uh, the smarter you get uh, with the swollen head, you know, mm. the smaller your heart gets, uh, then... Um, uh, if it's inverse correlation, everyone who's tested their model against IQ has, has been wasting the time. Yeah, yeah. So we don't yet know, um, because if you took um, manual dexterity, if, you know, your ability to screw a top yeah. on a bottle or yeah. uh, kick a ball or uh, do complicated sports or assembling, um, being a motor mechanic, your ability with manual dexterity, uh, it, does that correlate with IQ? I don't know. I guess it wouldn't to a significant mm. level. So why do we have to force that criteria on a uh, or that criterion on a uh, an IQ model and use it to throw it out or throw it in? So the problem is if you're developing uh, EQ, and this is under the third myth here, if you're developing an EQ model, what do you compare it to to say it's good? Mm. You can't compare it against IQ. We've just broken that uh, yeah. claim through. You can't compare it against existing models because they're all flawed. And the, even the authors uh, accept that. There's no perfect model in there yet. Mm. So uh, what do you compare it to to say uh, it's valid and reliable? 
Uh, it can't be happiness uh, because you know they, yeah. that brings in a value. Yeah. So the only word I can find right now is success. However you define it. Yeah. So it's success in in a social, family, uh, work, uh, leadership, education, whatever. Whatever. Uh, we've got about nine roles uh, in that people perform in life in terms of mm. negotiation, teaching, developing, and so on. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I've got those framed to say, test it against all those nine roles as, a, as a, a parent and a carer, or as an educator and a trainer. If we can, uh, we can predict that people who score well on this will be successful in those, uh, those roles, and we test every one of them, it's going to take five years plus to test all of them, um, but once this model's in place, we need to assess about 5,000 uh, just to get started, mm. uh, people across all those areas, uh, to see what the correlations are like, and we'll find out after the fact what the correlation is. Uh, so it's um, that's number three. Can I, can I stick with that for a second? So mm. how would you define success in that example then? So like, what success as a teacher being a head teacher or pupil attainment scores? Or? Well, exactly. Uh, so if you take uh, what's a successful teacher, uh, you need to make sure that that uh, is defined responsibly and ethically by not just a teacher who can get, some people judge a good teacher as someone who can get my kid through grades. Yeah. Another one says, I just want my child to be happy coming to school. Another one says, I want them to be a well-rounded human being. Yeah. So the, you've got the customer uh, in terms of the child, the, the end user of the educational system. You've got the carer or the parent uh, mm -hmm. who's the one who uh, has got the power to take the child to a different school based on what their values are. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the consumer and the customer of the school, which is the high school would be the customer of the primary school. So yeah. our job as a primary school is to make our children high school ready mm. and life ready and social ready. So however wide you take that, the high school in the UK system, their job is to make the children either uh, college or university ready. Or workplace ready. Or workplace ready. Yeah. Uh, or both and let the children decide. So create enough opportunities so they mm. can find the gift and follow the gift and they're not herded down uh, in my day uh, probably before your time <laughs> uh, I was herded get a trade get a trade get a trade yeah, and the yeah. schools and parents drove you to get a some form of trade mm. and um, craft or apprenticeship uh, now it's get to university get to university mm. uh, now you can't find a plumber in the UK uh, who will come in less than three weeks mm. uh, and the, you know their salaries and their their value in society now is huge you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. they're in much more than university professors mm. uh, if they're a good plumber and uh, so we, we need uh, we need a spectrum of uh, we've, we're not social engineers, but we've got to create a spectrum of opportunity so mm. people can find their own craft. If they're an artist, a footballer, a motor mechanic, a teacher, a leader. Okay. Um, so that's um, th that again is a is a heck of a responsibility on the, those in charge of creating the pathway for for children. Mm. Uh, Ken Robinson's got some great uh, great thoughts on this in terms yeah, of yeah, yeah. the creativity and the other elements that get knocked out of children from being four to yeah. eight. The fourth myth is about right answers without context. You cannot have right answers without context. So if there's a model that doesn't um, look at goals and context, then um, the, then I would be suspicious. Mm. And the, um, the fifth myth is that you can ignore traits in a, an ability model, and uh, I challenge that because how can you not consider a person's preferences and habits mm -hmm. in terms of their thinking, behaviour, 
and uh, emotions mm. if you want to have a successful interaction with them. Okay. All right. So is there anything else then? Anything else that um, you, you're thinking, feeling, want to say to bring us together and bring us to a close? I think uh, you've, you've managed to, um, to play around the main contentious issues and um, the, uh, the, I guess the key thing is to try and elevate this in thinking to psychology students, to HR, to companies and the work you're doing I applaud in terms of taking emotional uh, aspects into work mm. with uh, emotion at work and uh, I applaud anything that attempts to do that. I suppose I would uh, I would love to see emotion at works slash uh, education schools. And <laughs> I've, I've picked I've picked up I've picked up my first governor role this week. I was appointed I was appointed as a governor oh, of my local primary school this week. Bravo! It's so, about time you put something back. In yeah, I know, isn't it, just <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, in, uh, there was something else that came to mind then, and then I uh, it got superseded by me talking about being a governor. What was it? I can't remember. Either I know, way, I know one thing that you were asking uh, is about: uh, is there any readers, any of your listeners, wanted to uh, pick up any text? Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah. um, the uh, I've ferreted through my library, as huge as you can imagine, in the middle of a PhD, and uh, I've been doing this now for twenty-seven years. Uh, I've isolated five books, and uh, we can I can give you these afterwards. Yeah, okay. But there's uh, there's one by uh, Annie Marie Paul called "The Cult of Personality Testing." Okay. And that sounds a little bit uh, negative and cheeky, uh, but um, it's quite a healthy uh, critique of personality testing, but done in a constructive way. Okay. So, so, so uh, this, this is not uh, to try and put people off traits because they are valuable on personality, but I would uh, recommend Annie Marie Paul on the cult of personality testing. Okay. Uh, she's quite um, controversial. She opens up with the line of... Um, uh, uh, hi, uh, nice to meet. Uh, let me tell you who you are. Uh, okay. So, yeah. so it's uh, you know, fill in this questionnaire, give it to me, and then I'll tell, then you, I'll tell you who you are. Yeah. And uh, that's a flavour that uh, is strung through the text. Mm. Okay, so that's one. Uh, number two is the. I'm, I'm hoping to probably update this, so uh, I can see a, a book coming out of the PhD, which is, is um, uh, this. This is called a Critique of Emotional Intelligence by uh, Kevin Murphy. And this is 12 years old, uh, but uh, it's, it's underrated uh, because I, I applaud the work he's done. It's not so far out of date uh, because there's been very little development in the last 12 years. So anyone who's looking at the various models, and what are the problems and how can they be fixed in EQ, emotional intelligence, I'd recommend Kevin Murphy's book. Wonderful, thank you. Uh, development of emotional competence is about the educational process. Now, Carolyn uh, Sarney uh, had eight emotional skills I love her work, um, and uh, what she left as a legacy here in the development of emotional competence, I would highly recommend. Okay. And that's, uh, uh, it's not the type of thing that will come up in Google, mm. uh, you have to hunt for it, but uh, of all the books I've found, this is the jewel, I would say, okay. if, if anyone wants to look at developing emotional competence. Um, Don Sokolsky has edited and pulled together Assessing Emotional Intelligence, Theory Research and Applications and that's with Springer, that's a fabulous compilation and anyone who wants to look at assessment, uh, that is the book. Um, okay. And then finally, for those who want to go back to Ekman, Darwin and, uh, uh, but not be biased just by their work, I would uh, t say look at uh, Dacher Keltner and uh, et al. 
he's got a group of authors he's pulled together on a book called Understanding Emotions. Okay. Now, they're not cheap, some of these, but they uh, I would highly recommend if you had to buy five books to take on a desert island and you're as interested in emotional intelligence and assessment, those are the five. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. We'll, we'll make sure we put links to uh, all of those in the show notes as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Anything else? No, thank you for your time. In which case, then, thank you very much, Cliff. Thanks for being on the Emotional Podcast, and it's been wonderful to chat with you. Thank you very much. Cheers, Phil. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast. Written, recorded and presented by Phil Wilcox. Edited together by Simon Leverton. You can find more information at emotionatwork.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at at Phil Wilcox. Thanks for listening.